Good morning, church. Pastor Bill is not here this week, so he called me last week to intro our guest speaker today. And uh, when I found out who it was, I was honored and really excited about it. Um, This man is the definition of wisdom. When I think of wisdom, this this man is who I think of. And um, one of the lessons that he's taught um, that I heard that has stuck with me was um, you have to earn the right to speak into people's lives. And he's definitely done that in my life. He has spoken at my wedding. He has dedicated our first child. And he's even mounted shelves in our house. Um, So I'd like to uh, call Pastor Norm up here. He was the pastor here for 10 years and a member even longer. making this any easier. I don't need this to hold this, but I need it to lean on, I think. What am I doing wrong? Okay. But I'm very uncomfortable when you say, you know, that I have wisdom, Rocky, because then I want to hear what I have to say. I say, I better learn that. Now, for those of you who have come in the last three or four years, you're going to be saying, who is that guy? And those of you who have been here 30 or 40 years say, is he still alive? (laughs) But normally pastors, for a number of reasons, do not attend the church where they served. But uh, it doesn't mean that they, and in this case particularly me, doesn't mean I'm not vitally interested in Bethel, and I am, and I pray for this church every day. As soon as I get over the first part, I'm not going to be all right, so don't go away. But I don't pray general, bless Bethel, but specifically by name I pray for your pastor, for your ministers, your ministries. And for so many of you who come to mind, and um, I want nothing but good things for this church. And uh, I brag about you everywhere I go, and um, Ruth can attest to that. So don't blow it, okay? All right, we're going to move on. We're talking about care for stress fractures. Anybody here ever have a stress fracture? Probably you have. And it simply comes from those times of stress that are just too much for us. And in the body, what happens is the muscles or ligaments give up, transfer over to bones, usually small bones in feet, ankles, hands, wrists, and they crack. There's just too much pressure. Now, we think there's more pressure all the time every day in our world because we've got this to do and that to do. But there was also the pressure 10,000 years ago when you have to try to find water 
You have to try to find food. You have to try to exist. That's always been a part of the human condition. But the little cracks develop, and if they're not taken care of, they absolutely will debilitate you. You cannot function with them. They may be so small they don't even show up in an x-ray. But they have to be taken care of. And I see the effects all the time. I know people who are looking for work and just aren't able to find it. I talked to a man probably six months ago, just ran into him on the street. He used to go to Bethel. He doesn't go anywhere because he says, I feel like such a failure. I don't think anyone wants to be around me. Or financial stress that just keeps getting worse. Or lawsuits and legal matters that just go on and on and on and wear you down. I know a lady who's a caregiver for someone and it's all she can do to get an hour to herself once a week. Add to that fear of failures at school or unanswered letters, phone calls, loneliness, illness, alcoholism, drugs, insecurity, broken relationships, any one of those things can cause stress fractures. And we see the signs of it all the time. People schedule their lives and their days poorly. They're running out of time constantly. Time is a taskmaster to them. It's their slave owner. And they think that next week it's going to be better. Next month it's going to be better. Surely next year it's going to be better. And they try to run faster and jump higher and hope that somebody will win the rat race. Where we're going to read a little story in the Bible. It's not connected to any other event in the Bible. It's just a short one. And uh, it's in Luke, the 10th chapter. Now, I think in, when I start reading, I believe some words are going to come up there. But I'm going to read from the Bible here. For you younger people, by the way, this is called a book. <laughs> book. Comes with its own cover. You don't have to buy it. And um, you scroll sideways, not up and down. Can't do that. <laughs> One page or a hundred, same time, see? And if you take care of it, you will never have to buy a battery or plug it in. It'll last you a hundred. Someday we can all have a book. Save your money. Luke 10, 38. Last part of that chapter, Luke 10, 38, and you've heard this story. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. It will not be taken from her. Now, this is a small incident, and you say, why, why is that even in the Bible? Martha's upset, and Jesus says, calm down and who needs to record that and keep it 2,000 years? 
Well, it's not long, but it's about as third along as the whole story of the creation of the universe. Because you're going to deal with these kind of matters a whole lot more than how this universe got here. Also, it's these little matters that are going to tell how you're going to deal with the big ones. As God says, unless you're faithful in the little ones, I'm not going to give you the big ones. Can you handle these kind of matters that come up? Jeremiah says, if you have raced with men and they have worn you down, how can you race with horses? Are you taking care of today? Martha is working stressed out, anxious, but she's doing a lot. I mean, she's the one who, it says, opened her home to him. Now, it's not clear, but the implication is he showed up with 12 friends. That's 26 feet to wash. And they're all going to want to have food, and their men, 2,000 years ago, they get to sit. You ladies, take care of us a little bit more. And they want it there. And it's just too much for her. She's tried to do it all right, but it's overcome her. And the first thing she does is complain. And you may not have said this, but you have felt it. Lord, don't you care? Look at what's going on in my life. Don't you care? And she assumed that Jesus didn't care for her because things weren't going right. We may assume God is only working through our lives, our family, our relationships, our church, if things are running smoothly. That's not true. The Bible is full of accounts of God using half-baked efforts and apparent failures for his glory. Only he keeps score. When we think, if I can get everything right, that means God is coming. I've heard people say this. I'm always disappointed when Christians say this. You know what? Everything worked out so perfect, it just had to be God. Job's wife said that, and Job said, you foolish woman. It's all God. I've never heard anyone say, Things fell apart so bad it just had to be God. Isn't that God too? Are you going to measure God by how your day went? Of course, we like it when it goes better and how pleasant it is, he says. When the brethren dwell together in peace. But it's not a measurement of whether or not God is concerned. Lord, don't you care? She complains and then she blames. And it's pretty easy to see what the problem is from her viewpoint. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Now, what she's doing is a good thing. And you need those things. But she put, obviously, too much pressure, too high a standard on what wasn't important enough. Does this happen to you? Now, be honest. If you, maybe like Martha, host somebody in your house, or you keep a big assignment in school that you have to do, or a project at work, or you want your children to behave just right so they show off well, or you want the wedding to be perfect, or this activity over here to happen just this way, and somebody drops the ball, and they don't measure up, and you take on this stress, and that's a stress fracture. 
if you cannot serve and work and function without a complaining and judgmental spirit, stress is winning. Now, let me put it slightly different. If you cannot serve and function without a complaining and judgmental spirit, sin is winning. That's called sin. And then, next, Mary manipulated. I once had a book called Great Prayers of the Bible. Somebody had just gone through the Bible, copied down prayers, and put them in a book and sold it and made money. I was never smart enough to do that. I mean, that, I don't know why I couldn't think of that. But there's one prayer that was not there. And I've read this many times, but I think it's one of the great prayers of the Bible. Lord, tell her to help me. Isn't that good? You haven't prayed that? What a relief it would be if we could only control other people. But what's interesting to me is Jesus could have and didn't. If, by definition, God is always doing all the good that could be done, why would I ever want him to do something different? Tell her to help me. I see things that would work better every day of my life if God would answer that prayer for me. Tell her to get out. Tell him to come in. Tell her to pick this. See, God, I got it all planned out. If only others would. But when I measure the success of a task that involves others, I must use my obedience and my faithfulness as the key, not whether or not I can control or manipulate someone else. And it's so easy to do. I need to talk to this person before he talks to him so I can get my point across and then maybe we can get this and see God will work through it all. And we're trying to manipulate. But it says, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Now, these preparations are not inconsequential. They have to be done. Someone has to keep things running. If you can, you need to take the stress off other people and lift the load. If you're not doing your share, you need to. And be careful, too, when you say, I am doing all I can. And that person isn't. And you may be right. But sometimes, probably, you were that person not doing and someone else picked it up. Martha and Mary have a brother, you know, Lazarus. Remember Lazarus got sick and died and then Jesus raised him up and then he died again and and he's going to raise him up again. and He's got to make up his mind pretty soon where he wants to be. <laughs> but it was Mary, not Martha, before who said, when Lazarus got sick, Lord, if you had come when I called you, this wouldn't happen. 
she prays the same prayer as her sister. Lord, if you had done, remember, Lord, I asked you about this six months ago, and I'm still in a mess. If you had come when I called you. But Martha's pulled in all directions. And we misjudge what's important. We think somebody is actually going to win the rat race. It's not going to happen. Or that busy equals important and that rushing around will buy us more time and it will be getting better soon. And all of these things, someone else should meet our standards. But we think that we don't measure up to the expectations of others. And that's a huge stress builder. I will tell you, and I, 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 remember, I mentioned this many years ago, because um, that was a struggle for me, especially when I was pastor, to meet the expectation of others. Now, I know you're not going to make everybody happy. I know that. And you can't do what everyone wants. I know that. But you do know there are certain expectations, and you want to do that. You want to not not care. You want to watch out for this one and this one and this one. But you just... If you're not careful, that that becomes your measurement. Did I get this one? Did I return this phone call? And I like to follow through. I don't like to let things slip. I don't like to put things off. But you say, am I doing these things? And it can be the wrong thing. When I left here, uh, which was at the end of 2008, it was Ruth and I had both sensed it was uh, time for us to go for whatever number of reasons. And we felt very good about it. And we, we just loved the church. And that's not the problem, but it was it was uh, time for us to go. But I got a very nice thing from the board of council, sent a letter which I did not know anything about. And in fact, they read the letter here one morning, which says, in recognition of your long participation, because I'd been a pastor here for over 10 years and it came in kind of an interim for four to six. You know that any of you know the story of the man who came for dinner? And each couple thinks the other one, he's his relatives, and he's nobody's relatives, and he just stays on. That's what I did. So, <laughs> But I'd been here for 50 years before. So in recognition of your long service, we are giving you the position of pastor emeritus for life. And I said, oh, thank you. I was very grateful. I thanked everybody I knew. How? And then I sneaked out to find a dictionary say, what does that mean? <laughs> well, I kind of know, but uh, I kind of knew, but what it means is that often a person's with an organization for a long time when they retire, if this is given, it means you hold that position for life with no assigned duties. That's the sort of job I've been looking for forever. <laughs> So whether you like it or not, I'm your pastor for life and I don't have to do nothing. <laughs> it was nice to have because somebody wrote uh, a letter. One of the board of council members wrote a note and he said, I'm going to quote him. This means that after you leave Bethel, you can be wherever you feel God wants you. Wants you to be. Without feeling you have to meet the expectations of others. So if I don't meet your expectations, too bad. <laughs> now, we can't take that too carelessly. 
well, I don't care what people think. That's wrong. Of course you should care what people think. People are God's creations, every one of them. And you can't go by all. You can't meet all their expectations. But we can learn to remember it is the expectation of God. Jesus was not disappointed that the meal didn't go right with Mary. He apparently isn't upset over the coffee that got spilled. Now, I don't want us to spill coffee in the sanctuary. I like this to be honored in a sacred place. But if something spills, we let it go and move on. And we don't hold on to that way. Just as I think Martha's prayer, tell her to help me. It's one of the great prayers in the, in the English language. Jesus' answer is one of the great answers. His answer was, Martha, Martha. Oh, man, that's not what I want to hear. The doubling of her name is a clear message. He's not bothered by her lack of success or the untidiness or whatever. He cares about her. It's affectionate. But he said, you were worried about many things. Only one thing is needed. Now, we need to do those things. But they were important enough to do, but not important enough to get upset over. Do you have things in your life that are important enough to do? But when it doesn't go wrong, you ought to be able to let it go. Not get upset over it. Are you worrying over the wrong things? All you need is one bigger thing to jump in front of that worry to see how insignificant that might be. He puts a different value on it. But you may have a hurt from somebody, a slight from somebody, an insult that you remember years ago. Don't keep carrying that around. Let that go. It's not worth it. He has a different priority. Now you need to do the Marthas. Thank God for Martha. You have a work day coming up. I'm not going to be here because I don't have to do nothing. <laughs> but I have been to many, many, many work days in this church for many years. But you all hope that Martha shows up. Food will be here if Martha shows up. Mary, Jesus said, Mary is doing what is better, though. But it doesn't look like she's doing much. It says, Mary sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what he said. That's not much. Which one you want at the work day? Maybe you can save somebody some work here. No, we want them both. But right then, that is better. You have to have both. There's a time to listen, and it can't be just now. Sunday should not be a one-hour speed bump to slow you down while the rest of the week runs crazy. That is not the way God means us to live. There has to be contemplation thought, meditation, sila, David said in the Psalms, think about the things of God. And that takes quiet time. And I don't want you to feel guilty. Oh, no, I've got to go do another thing. But it's around us. Take advantage. If you commute on BART or a car, turn off the other noises and contemplate on God. Think, sit at his feet and listen. 
I see these ubiquitous earbuds everywhere, and I ask a young man one time, what are you listening to? And he said, oh, and really nothing. I just have white noise on. White noise? We used to call that static. You know what I mean? <laughs> you just want a sound so you don't have to be alone with your own mind? Now I realize I'm from a different century, and that's all right with me. You know, when I was young, if you were all thumbs, that, that was a bad thing. But now I find it's a survival skill. I see these people this way. <laughs> but you need time alone. And you have to find it during the day because you're not going to block out two hours over here and do it. But you find it. And when you hear the chance, you do as Mary. And you sit at Jesus' feet, and you listen. Every so often when I do these things, and used to all the time, Ruth would pick up my notes. I never said, look at my notes, because I didn't want to feel that. Then she might tell me something's wrong, so I didn't want to do that. But I knew she might have a good idea, so I would leave them laying her out. She looked at this and she said, well, you have some good point, but you need to make sure you go slow enough to make the point. What I think you're trying to say there is sit before you serve. Oh, that's pretty good. Can you remember that? Sit before you serve. I'm going to give you three of those today. If you can remember one of them till you get to that back door, I will consider this a roaring success. Because I know everything we learn, we have learned a hundred times before it sticks in our minds a little bit. I'm not telling you anything new today. Nothing in here is going to be new. But we put it in a different way and we remind ourselves and we learn. And one of them is sit before we serve. Otherwise, the frustrations overwhelm us. And Jesus knew those frustrations too. Many times it talks about it. And can you imagine the stress of Christ on his last night? At the Last Supper, with his friends, one of his friends gets up during the middle of the meal to go and betray him. And he knew where he was going. But the others all said, well, we will stay with you. We're committed to you. And they were all gone by morning. And yet he prayed. He prayed alone that night. Father, I have glorified you on earth. I have accomplished the work you have given me to do. What do you mean you've accomplished the work? The place is a mess. We thought you were going to deliver us. You haven't delivered anybody. You've healed a few people, but there's thousands more that are sick all around us. Rome is in control. Most of the world's never heard of you anyway. Your disciples are all scattered and they're hiding. What do you mean you've finished? I've accomplished the work you gave me. That's all we have to do. Whatever God asks us to do. We don't have to save the world. Every so often I remember hearing... Some evangelist comes through and he says, we're going to win this city for Christ. Well, 
Good. I'm glad you're doing it. I hope you start with your neighbor first. But Jesus didn't win his city. He cried over his city, but he didn't win it. You can't tell what you're going to do. What you are held accountable for is the work he gave you to do. And that comes with learning to rest in him. And that is not easy. And a lot of things in life are not easy. It's not easy for me today. It's very uh, emotional for me to just come in here again. But it's so good to see you here again. And like I said, you are never out of my mind. In fact, a neighbor about two months ago, and he said, you know, that must have been someplace, but I'm a little tired of you talking about Bethel. Then he says this, what do we do? We learn to rest in Christ. That's that's a nice, simple sentence to say. How about that? That solves your problems. But it isn't easy. In Hebrews 11.4, it says this, strive to enter into that rest. Isn't that an odd phrase? Work hard to rest because you know it does not come easy. Work hard to enter into that rest. It's just going to be a struggle for you. And it's easy to believe that whatever I have at this time going on in my life that's bad is the worst thing possible and it's what the world rotates about. Now Ruth and I have been doing just fine and our health is pretty fine, but we have bumps in the road. And I had a bout of about three months earlier this year and I'm not kidding you when I tell you that one day when I had a root canal and it went wrong and the tooth broke and all that, that was the best day of that week. It was. But if you're there, you think, boy, the whole world revolves around me. But had a goofy infection. And part of that, within two days, I lost a lot of hearing in this ear. And I asked the doctor, will that come back? And they all say the same to me. Well, at your age, you know, maybe not. So I'm still pretending It's temporary, and I'd appreciate it if you'd go along with that for now. But, you know, when we have our problems, we think, I'm the only one who has this problem. You don't understand. And so, my accident, my surgery, my child's rape, my divorce, my drug abuse son, my alcoholic husband, fill in the blank, Is the worst thing that could possibly be. And yet it is, as Jesus said, common to man. We all have these worsts at times. It's not easy. And we hold on to them as best we can. We acknowledge God is in control. We take him at his word. We hold on to the promises. Learn the promises of God. Leave with him that which is beyond all that you can do when I think everything let me tell you how bad my problem is and by the way you have to tell that sometime keep your story short by the way you know why because everybody else wants to tell you their story oh you know is that what happened to you let me tell you what happened to me you know the difference in minor surgery and major surgery major is mine minor 
it's yours. And we fill it in. But those statements are an appeal to our ego. And we want to tell them about us. And we want to do that sometimes instead of sitting at his feet. But God wants us to not only survive, but thrive. And usually not by changing your circumstances. But by learning to rest in him in spite of them. And he tells us in these times, and I hope you make availing of yourself of it, there is comfort. Comfort in Christ. Have you learned that? You're not going to find it in many self-help books. They're just not going to be there. But in the word you will find great comfort. St. Paul said this, and Paul, he's one of those. He did keep his stories fairly short, but at one point he says, Oh, you think you have it bad? Let me tell you. Can you beat this? Boom, 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 boom. And he goes down. I was shipwrecked three times. I got beaten eight times. I got kicked out of this city. I was left here dead. They threw me over the wall. Now, what's your story? Oh, I broke my fingernail here. It's really sore. But Paul says, 1 Corinthians when he talks about comfort for these times. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. Now, you have to be there to receive it. Do you know what I mean? You have to sit at the feet of Jesus with Mary a bit to hear what he says. If you want to hear his word, you've got to listen to his word. And put yourself in those places. And again, I would say, find ways to steal that time during the day. Because if you wait till the right time comes, it isn't going to come. But you can find it around you. He is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles. So we are to receive comfort from God, but for a purpose. It's not just to make you feel better. That's one of it. But... The same sentence continues, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we have received from Christ. You're going through something, God is probably going to bring you alongside someone else with that same problem. Now, have you learned the comfort that you can share with them? For just as the sufferings of Christ have flowed into our lives, he says, so also the comfort of God overflows from our lives into the lives of others around us. So your struggle has a purpose. It is to allow you to experience the comfort of God so you can pass it on. Receive comfort so you can give comfort. Now, I told you I had three of those. There's two of them, so. Third one's coming right now, so don't go away, okay? It's true that misery loves company. The Bible tells us misery has company, so hang in there. Many years ago, a young uh, a lady here, she wasn't young, she's young to me now, she was middle-aged, I guess, but she had lost her husband, uh, through an accidental death and then shortly after that her son all within a period of few months and then she had her own health problems and I talked to her one morning 
And I said, I'm praying for you. And she said, well, what are you praying? Well, I, I pray that you be given comfort and strength and peace to go through this struggle. And she said, I'll tell you what to pray. Pray that I don't waste it. Are you wasting your struggle? We are told this about our struggles. Our sorrows bring a peaceful harvest of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. To have been trained by it. If we learn from them, learn how to receive the comfort of God, learn how to share the comfort of God, learn of his goodness, then we are trained by it. Otherwise, they just hurt a lot. They're really miserable. But if we can take that sorrow and turn it into something valuable, pray that we don't waste it. Here's a third one. Sit before you serve. Receive comfort so you can give comfort. And then realize that if you are faithful in those times, that is the evidence of your salvation. If I ask you if you're a Christian and you say yes, and I say, how do you know? Well, back so-and-so, I said a sinner's prayer. Well, good for you. Now, have you lived that? That may be where you started. Is it showing up? Do people around you see those things? How do you react when trouble comes? St. Paul continues with this in Romans. And in Romans, we're just not going to come out of that book without being overwhelmed with his goodness. In fact, Pastor Bill told me, uh, he called this week and he said later he's going to start a sermon series on Romans. And I was going to tell him, you really don't need to. I did it about 13 years ago. So <laughs> I'm sure they, they remember it all by now. So, But even St. Paul will find what Pastor Bill knew he would find, and I knew he would find, when he starts looking at the comfort and goodness of God, Paul throws up his hands and said, this is impossible. Oh, the depths of the wisdom and comfort and goodness and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. His ways are past finding out. Look, we're trying to figure out why all this stuff happens and just know it happens for his purpose. And how we react is an evidence of our salvation. St. Paul said this. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now, that's pretty good if you're going through a struggle to know those things. I've never inherited a penny in my life. And unless some of you put me in your will and bump off pretty quick, I don't think I will. But I have an inheritance. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now, if you stop there, it might be all right. But he says, if. Oh, if. Are the promises of God conditional? They are all conditional. Yes. Except one. I will always love you. You can't stop that one because that's who he is. It's like trying to turn the sun off. It's going to shine on you. You could block yourself out from it, but it's going to shine. He will love you. But there are others that are conditional. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share with his sufferings. St. Paul calls it the fellowship 
of his sufferings. You want fellowship with Christ? The fellowship of his sufferings. If indeed we share in his suffering so that we will then share in his glory. And that's the end line. Payday is coming. It's not here yet. We share in his sufferings, but we will share in his glory. Sit before you serve. Receive comfort so you can give comfort. And be faithful and share in their sufferings. And then we share in his glory. Laurie, would you come, dear lady, and take us home? Thank you again. It's always an opportunity to be here. I appreciate it. what God's been talking to me about too just uh, not striving and I wasn't planning on doing this but there's a, a song I wrote a few years ago that's called When I Sit at Your Feet it's based on this passage because I tend to be a Martha but I'm always trying to be a Mary and uh, you guys mind if I sing it and you know what I may play some wrong notes is that alright You fill me with joy that 
our real ending song it's a uh, yeah sorry it's just appropriate it's talking about uh, strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord so let's do that together let's stand up
Well, before we send you off this morning, um, one other announcement. I'll be the announcement girl. How's that? All right. Um, just one other thing I want you guys to know about. There is uh, the symphony, that uh, Community Symphony Night is actually this Thursday, and uh, they've given us tickets again this year, which is really awesome. $10 a piece. Oh, it's... Oh, we have 12 tickets left, so anyone who wants them, go to the info center, run, don't walk after service, and uh, you can get some tickets for that, too. It looks like it's going to be a great lineup for concert this Thursday. So um, if you are newer and you want to know a little bit more about Bethel, as Eric was saying, you can go to the living room afterwards, the couches. We'd love to share with you what's going on here. And if you have something you need prayer about this morning, I want to invite our prayer counselors forward. They'd love to meet with you right after the service up here and pray with you, whatever's on your heart. Maybe praise you have, anything they'd love to support you in prayer. So, uh, Norm, it was great to have you here today. Thanks for um, being Pastor Emeritus. And uh, you all have a great week, and we'll look forward to seeing you here around the week or uh, next week. Take care.